This podcast is sponsored by Infinera. Infinera is transforming network architectures and in-user connectivity services as demand for capacity drives coherent technology closer to the edge at 100 gig, across the metro at 400 gig, and deeper into the core at 800 gig. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. And I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And you have Terrence Robinson. I lead our enterprise security sales practice at Verizon. Terrence, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for giving us a bit of your time today. I do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Readers, uh, I don't know if you would remember this because we we flood the site with so much news and information on a daily basis. It's a point of pride for us. But um, uh, not too long ago, Kelsey wrote about mobile security and featured you in her uh, piece or quoted you extensively. Uh, Kelsey, can you remind me a bit when that was and and uh, and where? Let's point people to it. Yeah, that was around the May timeframe, and we'll link to that article in the show notes. And Terrence, it's great to connect with you again. So for those who maybe missed that article and the <laughs> flurry of news we have, <laughs> can you uh, just refresh us a little bit on the Verizon Mobile Security Index, what it is and what types of security insights that it provides? Yes, yes. And I'll try to do it quickly. So this is a publication that now we've been doing for four years. And and really what we found is this is kind of an offshoot of the data breach investigative report, which we have been doing for over 14 years. And, and what we wanted to do is more of an emphasis around mobile endpoints, because we know organizations are depending upon these devices and these networks now more than ever. And so what goes into the mobile security index, there's really three primary data feeds. We have surveys that we do with um, information security professionals. Um, this is across all industries, all segments. So you think about small, medium business, enterprise, and even the public sector. Um, we also work with our partner ecosystem. That's kind of continued to evolve over time, um, where now initially it was mainly just mobile security, but now it's network security, cloud security, because all these things are converging. And then the third one is around working with the government agencies, um, because we see a lot of interesting insights. And so that's, that's what really goes into the report. And then with that, what we do is we just try to drive awareness. You know, what are we seeing um, as it relates to how information security professionals are trying to implement mobile security? Um, what are we seeing uh, as it relates to the threat landscape? And then also we even provide some recommendations and those recommendations are aligned with the um, National Institute of Standards and Technology, their cybersecurity framework. So that is the quick overview. So please, if you have not done so, um, download the Mobile Security Index for 2021. I think you'll find it to be an interesting read. That is the commercial. No, that's great. <laughs> that was a, that was um, a great ad. <laughs> Also, too, uh, you know, we just covered in, in a previous podcast, uh, the data breach investigations yes. report. So yes. those two make a good kind of companion download for folks to uh, kind of get a, a, an overview of what the state of security is right now. And in that vein, I love to worry. So what uh, uh, <laughs> what types of threats are we seeing on the rise in the mobile security area? Yeah. And, and actually what I can do is in some ways, since we have released both publications, is there's some things where we do tie 
a lot of the elements together. And, and I think one great stat that comes out of the data breach investigative report, it's kind of eye popping and it's interesting is that 85% of all breaches, so we're not talking about you know incidents or, or compromises, but literally breaches, 85% involve the human element. And I think that's interesting because, you know, Phil, to your question about what are we seeing, we're really seeing bad actors just relentlessly going after the end user. You know, that is the primary concern. So you think about like social engineering and we hear a lot about it now. And, and, and I just kind of look at it um, in, a, in a simplistic way. You know, how are we interacting with humans? And then through that interaction, trying to get them to expose, you know, information, frankly, if it would be credentials or other information that I may be able to utilize as a bad actor. So number one, and, and it shouldn't surprise anybody, is that we are seeing phishing, you know, phishing, social engineering, that is the number one concern. Now, now it is a little bit nuanced, I will say that, because we're seeing it on the rise just across all assets, period. But mobile is being hit even harder. And what I mean by that is, I mean, we're seeing about a, over a 360% year-over-year increase in phishing attempts on mobile devices. And, and I, I want to unpack that a little bit because I think it's interesting. Just when you consider the amount of success a bad actor can have related to mobile endpoints, because since we're a carrier, you know, we have access to this data on what's happening on the network. And what's interesting, and when you think about it, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of see where I'm going, is that we see 98% of all text messages are read. 98%. Um, and then you think about that as far as responses, 45% receive a response. Now, compare that to what happens traditionally with email. We're talking about 20% of email is typically viewed with a 6% response rate. So if I'm a, if I'm a bad actor and I want to get banged for my buck, you know, I'm, I'm going after mobile, you know, especially SMS. And we kind of refer to the term smishing, you know, SMS phishing, because I'm going to have <laughs> more of a view rate. Think about it even personally. Um, you know, when you want a response from somebody, what do you typically do? You send them a text message because you know they're going to get it. And you know likely they're going to respond and they're going to respond relatively quickly. So why wouldn't bad actors do the same thing? And so we're seeing that. And, um, and when you think about the pandemic, we've even seen it evolve because early on it was mainly focused around, you know, things related to COVID. You know, if it was um, PPE access, testing, you know, that sort of thing. And then we saw it kind of evolve from there last year with the election. And then we kind of saw it evolve even this year with shipping. You know, when you think about it, because now everyone's getting things shipped to their home. So you get an SMS message coming across. Oh, you got a package, you know, from from FedEx or UPS. Click here and the stuff looks legit. And so chances are you're going to click on it unless it's just something very unusual, like you weren't expecting anything. And then in a, in a newer one that we're even seeing, too, now is since everything's going touchless, the QR codes. Uh, think about it. In restaurants now, instead of them giving you a physical menu, a lot of times they'll say, oh, use your phone and scan this. And it's pretty easy for someone to maybe have another type of QR code there. And then once you once you would actually, um, you know, take a picture of that, scan it, you know, then you're going to be maybe pushing malware to your endpoint. You know, so so these are the things we're seeing people evolve their tactics. Um, we're definitely seeing them focus on mobile. Um, so that is a real area of concern. Um, another thing I will say as it relates to mobile is malware. And what we're seeing is that malware is becoming more and more elusive. So a lot of organizations kind of fall into the trap of thinking, well, the mal you know, these applications are, you know, on the, in the iTunes store or on Google Play, so they've been vetted. And to a certain degree they are, but you know, they're they're just having challenges vetting them fast enough. And so in many instances, we're seeing monthly 
applications being removed because they may um, actually um, have malicious code. Um, but the other side of this too, that is a challenge and, and they're not looking for this at all. And that's just poorly written applications. So you think about what we found is about one in 25 applications actually leak credentials. Um, so this is a challenge. Now, one thing that I will say I'm somewhat encouraged by is the, the recent executive order that came out of the Biden administration around cybersecurity. Applications were actually mentioned. And, um, the, and, and it was really more of a thought process around vetting applications, you know. And so um, even recently, the U.S. Postal Service back in June, they announced that for all of their corporate devices, um, they're only going to be using, you know, corporately approved applications. And so this is something I think we're going to start to see more and more organizations doing. And one other thing I'll just kind of um, go to because it's, it's a challenge is what we saw the lockdown restrictions associated with COVID. One thing we saw organizations doing to try to meet some of those restrictions and to help their employees be productive remotely is they relaxed some of the um, application requirements, you know, for for their mobile users. And so they said, okay, initially we were only allowing vetted or or corporate apps, but now we're going to open it up, let's say for collaboration, for health and wellness, et cetera. And so now they got to start looking at that again and saying, okay, um, maybe we adjust that policy because what we're seeing is an increase in misuse. We're seeing an increase in shadow IT. And what we kind of mean by that term shadow IT is people just simply trying to get work done. So it's, it's not necessarily malicious in scope, but they may say, hey, I'm going to use this this um, public file share to, to, to send this large file to this external resource, or I'm going to use this PDF viewer. And they're not thinking they're not thinking about it and thinking about the impact or the exposure of that data to an unauthorized third party. So those are really some of the things that we're seeing. And I would be remiss, of course, if I didn't mention ransomware. And that's something I kind of wanted to save it just because everyone's talking about ransomware. But it's real and it's having a, a significant, significant impact on organizations. I mean, we're to the point now where we're talking about hundreds of ransomware attacks that are happening. We're just hearing about a very, very small percentage, the ones that are either impacting infrastructure in some way or, or industries or just very iconic, well-known brands. But you think about SMB and a lot of these other players, I mean, they are just getting crushed by this. And, and this is a real challenge um, for organizations as well. And then the last thing just um, on this too with the threat landscape is we think about credential theft. That is also an area, data theft in general, um, of any type of personally identifiable data because it can be easily monetized on a dark web, but in particular stolen credentials because we're seeing 61% of breaches can be contributed to stolen credentials. So those are all things that we're seeing that are very, very problematic for organizations um, from a security standpoint. Some of these are really interesting because they kind of are in that sweet spot of taking advantage of the fact that, like you said, that we're a more remote workforce and, you know, more, uh, more spread out now, no, nobody's centralized in the office. There's the combination of that and the fact that we're just generally busier people <laughs> and, and on our mobile phones more. So it's like all three of those things kind of converge that shipping fishing attempt or is a perfect example of Absolutely. that. What a busy person would do is just look down and say, Oh, your FedEx package is here. And they click it and they what it and and if uh, I have to be very careful how I word this in case my words are being heard uh, by others <laughs> in my household. But look, <laughs> there are so many packages coming yeah. to this place. <laughs> I can't keep up anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it does remind me though that yeah, go to the website, go, go, you know, go out and look for that information. Don't just click on the first thing someone sends you. 
You know what I do, Phil? Um, you know what I do? A good recommendation here um, for people, and this is just kind of a simple one, is I actually use the FedEx app and the UPS app because they have apps. And then what they will do is um, once you actually set everything up, you can go in the app and see anything to ship to you that's even pending to ship to you. So a lot of times what will happen is, um, especially if it's, it's unexpected, if I get an unexpected text that comes across, and, and this happened recently, it was something being, but it was actually legitimate, but um, I immediately went to the FedEx um, app and, and reconciled, you know what I'm saying? And so so that's something that people can do to try to mitigate that. Now, there's, there is one other thing I want to throw in here that is re- really something I've been talking about for really almost the last two years that I think is going to become more and more problematic. And this is around application permission abuse, because this is another one. And, and um, I'll say I, w- I did this before. I don't do it now, uh, but I've done this in the past. And I'm sure we all have done this in the past is you download the application. You're trying to get it up and running. Um, you see three, four pages of an end user licensing agreement. Who's reading that? Um, so you're just clicking next, 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 next. And at that point, you know, you could be enabling access to your microphone, to your camera, to your contacts, to your location. And and really, you have to think, does that application need access to all of that data? So that is another challenge. It's not always malicious, but it could be. And then when you start thinking about data leakage or data loss, it's just really, OK, if this is a corporate device that may have um, customer information, proprietary information, do I want to expose that to an unauthorized third party? So that's something we're also trying to drive some awareness of because we see this. And, and this is something we actually highlight um, within the mobile security index. And, and it's, it doesn't matter if it's iOS or Android, whatever. Um, we're kind of seeing this be a challenge, too, is what, how are these applications behaving um, on devices? Yeah, that's a great point. That's something I periodically will go back through my settings and see what have I given these different apps permissions to. And like you said, do they really need my microphone access or all my photos? You mentioned earlier about how uh, during COVID, some companies um, got a little bit more lax with their policies. What's your? How do you advise um, your your customers on the importance of an acceptable use policy? Um, what kind of things are key to be included there? And you know, what are some other preventative measures people can take against these types of threats? That is a great, great question, and something that I do spend a lot of time talking with organizations about is their acceptable use policy and how they're approaching that because. Um, what what we are finding now, you know, kind of fast forward, we're you know well over a year into this thing, and 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 I think now the dust is starting to settle a little bit, and organizations are coming to the realization that, you know, still roughly half of their workforce is probably going to be working remotely, not not permanently, but maybe on a routine basis. So they have to do something. It's not just like this was a temporary type of thing. So so to go back to your question, Kelsey, around the AUP, the acceptable use policy is really important because it's setting those ground rules with your employees on how they should be behaving with these particular devices. And so with that, one thing we do talk about is trying to baseline what should normal look like. So you think about data consumption, you know, how much data should a user be consuming within a period of time? And if it's something that's abnormal, then that that may be an indicator, you know, that that you should maybe be able to take a further look at that particular end user. Um, Also, to your point about applications, um, what we really recommend 
and I think this is really going to be the new normal, is that organizations are going to take a harder stance and really get back to the point of saying, hey, if it's if it's a corporate device, especially if it's a corporate device, this will be harder to do if it's, you know, kind of your personal device. But if it's a corporate device, we're only going to allow specific applications to reside on that endpoint and, and really restrict, um, you know, the users from being able to just download any application. And, and that's probably the safest way to do it, because um, in many instances, what they can do with the device management platforms is they can say, we'll restrict it just to the app stores. But once again, you know, we're finding that the app stores in many instances are struggling to ensure all of those, you know, applications have fully been vetted. So really moving to that and saying we're just going to restrict to those vetted applications. And then another thing to think about, too, is when you start looking at your mobile devices, um, they're different than, you know, your traditional PC. So even something like as simple as charging is a little bit different. So if, if I'm at an airport, if I'm at a hotel, Starbucks, whatever, I don't want to just plug my USB in. To, to initiate charging, because in many instances, that's going to that could potentially be pushing malware to my endpoint. Um, what I really want to do is just plug into a real traditional wall socket to be able to charge. I mean, and that's something a lot of people don't think about. I mean, they just think naturally, yeah, I can plug in my USB and charge my device. But but you're actually introducing risk. Um, to your device by doing so. And then also when you think about some of the different radio networks um, with the mobile devices, you know, you got Bluetooth, you got, um, you, you have Wi-Fi, you know, mo NFC. I mean, there's multiple radios. And so do you want to have all of those things enabled? Uh, maybe do you want to disable some of them? Because in many instances, we have seen bad actors trying to take advantage um, from that perspective as well. Also with removable media. You know, is there maybe um, data that you may not want on removable media? So these are things that all kind of go into the acceptable use policy. And then one other thing I'll throw out there, and this is it's kind of shocking in a way because you would think, well, why in the world would this happen? But what we're seeing is, um, especially during the pandemic, we saw about a 600% increase in the number of um, visits to websites that were hosting inappropriate content. If that would maybe be adult content, if it would be gambling, et cetera. And the problem with that, is that a lot of times this introduces risk as well because those websites are really vehicles to distribute malware. And so maybe even something as simple in your acceptable use policy as, you know, do not go to these sites, so to speak. And then also um, obviously trying to have things in place to to restrict that, but at least making it be known, um, you know, with it within the acceptable use policy, you know, how they should be behaving, especially if it's a BYOD, bring your own device environment, that AUP is going to be really important um, just to set those ground rules with your users. Does an acceptable use policy uh, against, like, say, gambling websites, does that still have relevance even during football season? Because uh, <laughs> I just, I'm just asking. I, I don't have any particular reason for asking. I'm just. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe, um, no, maybe they'll maybe um, they'll maybe they'll allow yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe they'll allow DraftKings, you know. <laughs> there you go. Just 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 one, just one. I'm just asking for one. Um, no, I, I I did actually um, have a bit of information to add to the discussion about getting uh, phishing uh, or being fished or smished, I guess, uh, through text links for the thing. So the first bit of advice, you know, about shipping uh, data, and uh, the first bit of advice was, uh, like Terrence said, use the UPS app, use the FedEx app, use those official apps. Um, the the second thing that we did here at, at the house that's helped uh, quite a bit in terms of getting mail notifications and things like that, and just kind of generally being uh, up to date 
is uh, the Postal Service has a thing called informed delivery, where every day they will email you a picture of what's coming in the mail that day, uh, just a quick scan of all your letters and things like that. And, and it'll, it'll let you know that there's a package coming if it's, you know, because some couriers have different arrangements with the Postal Service. And even if it can't send you an exact picture of the package, it'll let you know that, oh yeah, there's a parcel that's going to be delivered today or something like that. And so that way, if you get that kind of information and you're kind of expecting it, you can just be more aware of what's coming, uh, heading to your home, what's going to show up on your porch, and then you can not have to worry about being texted all the <laughs> the weird links about the, there being a problem with the package or whatever thing they're trying to do to alarm you. You know, it's interesting too with acceptable use policies because there's such a, um, it's a no brainer in a lot of ways because you have to kind of, uh, you know, use this pr as a preventative measure to kind of keep people in line <laughs> um, and, you know, just from doing things that would, would endanger us. Um, is there is there a particular kind of template for this sort of thing that companies tend to use, or does everybody just sort of come up with their own? There is a bit of a, um, a standardized process around an acceptable use policy, but for organizations, it, it can be somewhat bespoke just based on you know what they're doing, how they operate. Now, we do provide, like if you go to the Verizon MSI webs, um, the site that we have where we distribute the, um, the publication, we do also have an acceptable use policy guide where we even provide, and some of that is even based on what we do internally, um, you know, within Verizon, as far as um, some of the elements of the acceptable use policy. So, um, Phil, we do provide guidance as to how they can try to integrate mobile, because what we do find, and kind of another interesting data point, is that less than 50% of organizations really even have mobile kind of defined within their acceptable use policy. And, and that's something that needs to be addressed, especially now with remote work, because we know people are leveraging these devices, you know, more so than, than really, frankly, than they ever have. Is there anything in terms of uh, training that you also recommend? Um, I know, like you mentioned, when you download an app and you click through all the legal jargon and don't really read it, um, I imagine having an acceptable use policy is probably a great first step, but then getting your employees to actually adhere to it there's probably some challenges there. So do you have any advice on training or, or does Verizon provide anything like that? Yes. And I kind of wanted to avoid uh, pushing, you know, our services, but I mean, we, we, we do actually, um, you know, I didn't know if that'd be a no, no, but uh, since you open the door, no, I'll walk fine. through it. No, I'll walk through it. But um, yeah, yeah, we, um, we, we do offer advisory services. That's something that frankly we're world-class at. Um, as it relates to advisory services. And so one area in particular that we focus on is we think about some of the social engineering assessments, because what we find is that less than 17% of businesses actually do any type of training and awareness as it relates to smishing, you know, SMS phishing or voice phishing or vishing. And so we try to integrate that within some of the tools that we're doing as it relates to social engineering assessments, as well as some of the training and awareness, because that is a key piece. Um, you know, I, I can't emphasize that enough, Kelsey, is that um, and, and this even ties back to trying to prevent social engineering attacks, which ultimately lead to ransomware. Um, one of the best things you can do is drive a lot of training and awareness with your employees because the, the employees should really be the front line. They should be that firewall trying to help prevent you know, um, any type of um, compromise of the infrastructure. And a lot of times we just don't see that. And one of the key areas is driving that training and that awareness associated with users. And then the other thing that we kind of recommend too, and this is kind of more, because that's more kind of on the people side, but if you talk about technology, 
most organizations do have at least some form of endpoint management in place for their mobile assets, but less than 10% typically have anything from a threat defense where they're actively monitoring. And so we do rec- strongly recommend to have something from a threat defense perspective actively monitoring, and then also to have it do self-remediation with a very, very high level of efficacy, because ideally what you want to do is if a user comes out of compliance, you want to be able to quarantine, you know, um, restrict access, step that user through remediation, and then grant them access. And, and the beauty of having the user be involved in that process is it also helps to build that culture of saying, you know, we're all actively part of this and we should all be taking, you know, cybersecurity seriously as it relates to our endpoints. So those are some things that, you know, kind of driving that culture piece um, is, is really critically important. All, I'd argue almost more important than the technology. Yeah, the awareness is is definitely the 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 key. You know, being be, being aware of the the latest threats, the you know remediations, and then just you know as these things crop up and evolve. I mean, that's what kind of fascinates me about this whole sector is that if you if you if you go away for three months and think you know everything, it's just a constantly evolving business, and so it it constantly runs. To, to stay ahead of the average user. So you have to really be uh, more diligent and and, uh, and keep up. So everybody, uh, you know, take a look at the uh, 2021 Mobile Security Index. Terrence Robinson, thanks so much for uh, for being on the podcast. We do appreciate your, uh, your time and insights. Hey, I appreciate the conversation and you guys having me. So thank you. Um, definitely enjoyed it. This podcast is sponsored by Infinera. Infinera is transforming network architectures and end-user connectivity services as demand for capacity drives coherent technology closer to the edge at 100 gig, across the metro at 400 gig, and deeper into the core at 800 gig.